Electricast. At Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care, and we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com slash wonder. Your brain needs support. And new Ollie Brainy Chews are a delightful way to take care of your cognitive health. Made with scientifically backed ingredients like Thai ginger, L-theanine, and caffeine. Brainy Chews support healthy brain function and help you find your focus, stay chill, or get energized. Be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y dot These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. It's not about the corner office. It's not about the fancy title. It's not even about the extra money. Responsible leadership is about taking care of those who choose to follow you, and that care takes on many forms. This podcast is dedicated to bringing you the best guests with the best advice to help you succeed in that endeavor. The Responsible Leadership Podcast is a production of The Leadership Phalanx. To find out more about me and what I do, visit leadershipphalanx.com. That's leadership, P-H-A-L-A-N-X.com. And now, on to today's show. All right, listeners, hello and welcome to another great episode of the Responsible Leadership Podcast. I've got an amazing guest for you today, and I do mean amazing guest based off of uh, some of the things I've heard and doing my due diligence and listening to other appearances. Dirk Van Reenen. Dirk, thanks for being with us today. Yeah, Earl, thank you so much. I'm really excited to be on the show. Yeah, no, this is going to be a great conversation. Before we get into it, listeners, here's what you need to know about Dirk. Dirk is the founder and CEO of Bergflow, a company that specializes in helping small and medium-sized businesses build better teams. Dirk is an award-winning entrepreneur, international consultant, trainer, and former CEO of an $800 million a year sales organization. Today, Dirk works with ordinary companies to help them become extraordinary by hiring the right people and teaching them how to work together as a true team. I love all of that, and I know we're going to build some great conversation around that, but I want to start you off, Dirk, with where I start off all the guests on this show. When you hear the term responsible leadership, what does that mean to you? The first thing that comes to mind, and and I think of this as in a business sense, but it it is the responsibility of knowing your, your team, knowing the people that report to you at a really deep level. And really understanding their abilities, their strengths, um, their passions, what's important to them, their goals, you know, outside of the company as well. And then also understanding the, you know, the, the goals of the company, understanding the direction that the organization is going and understand how to, how to create alignment between your people uh, that you're leading and, you know, the, the direction that the organization is going in. And I think ultimately it's about uh, really directing and empowering your team to be able to step up, take higher levels of responsibility, and for them to develop as leaders along the journey of reaching the organization's goals. Um, so that's that's kind of what comes to mind for me when I think about you know responsibility of leadership. I love it, and uh, my listeners. Uh... You know, they can probably hear the smile on my face because they've heard me talk about those same things quite a bit on this show. And, you know, they go very much in line with uh, what we talk about here at the Leadership Phalanx with those shields of, you know, always on display, build relationships and look out for your people, uh, be a power broker, information is power, all of those things that we talk about, which is why, you know, in the pre-show workup, I said, you know, I think we may have been separated at birth here because we're talking in lockstep here, buddy. And, and, um, uh, again, I'm just really excited to to dive deep into some of these uh, with such a like-minded individual. And I think the first one I really want to start with there, and, and I know this is a big passionate piece of yours, is I always talk about 
leadership is just another relationship. And you're real heavy on that relationship building piece as well, aren't you? Yeah, and that's really been a shift in thinking for me. It, it didn't really always, you know, come about that way in business um, because I had a very traditional blueprint of what leadership, you know, was supposed to be. And, uh, you know, kind of growing up and in my 20s, uh, I just kind of had this picture that the leaders, this really kind of strong figure that, that always knows all the answers and can always tell people what to do and, you know, just kind of knows everything, you know. And um, so what happened was because of that and kind of my, my view on business, I used to be very transactional in business. And um, actually, you know, in, in a big part too, I mean, I built a lot of success being transactional in business, but it was very, it was very empty. It wasn't uh, fulfilling. Um, you know, I, I wasn't able to have, you know, deep relationships with the people we worked with and um, it wasn't building a, a deeper foundation for next level success. So uh, it was really probably around 2015 that I really started discovering, okay, what does it mean to do relational business? What does that mean? And um, what does it mean to be a leader that is more interested in, you know, the, the relationship and the development of the person you're leading than getting the task done? And I think, you know, as I've thought about this a lot over the, over the last, you know, five, six years, I keep thinking about what's the difference between a manager and a leader? And, you know, ultimately I've, I've kind of come up with this conclusion. This is just kind of my, my variation of it, but, you know, a, a manager is somebody that, that manages a person, um, to get tasks done, to accomplish, um, you know, kind of an objective and a leader does the same thing, except they've got a different outcome. The leader is there to develop the person while they're doing the tasks and, and accomplishing the goals. So at the end of the day, it's not about accomplishing the goal it's about developing the person you know on their journey to to doing the goal and i think that's that's one thing that's been very impactful for me is going through that transformation you know as a person as a business person as a leader and really just understanding that at any given time the the most important thing that i can do is is really practice self-awareness and self-management and then really understand you know, the people that I'm in business with and get to know them at a deep level beyond just what their abilities in business are, their experience in business, but really what are the things that they are naturally good at? What are the things that we can build additional skill and ability around that they could actually become, you know, extraordinary, you know, go, go above being average and really helping them, uh, be on the path of fulfillment, of growth, of achieving, of, of reaching their personal goals. And then it's just about managing the relationship, the conversations, the expectations, where um, I'm growing as a leader and they're growing as a, as a leader along the process as well. And uh, doing business, you know, for the last five or six years that way has completely transformed um, my life and my businesses. And it's, it's something that I'm very passionate about today. Yeah. No, you, you said a whole lot there that, again, that I, I just, it, it's in lockstep. You know, I, I talk a lot about history, uh, you know, on the show and, and everything, the, those relationship pieces, those are at the base of historically great leadership. Um, and, and it, it's at the base of military leadership. I do my best on this show to kind of debunk that myth of the, the yelling, screaming, spitting, slobbering, uh, leader, you know, that, that's a, that's something that happens in boot camp, and it happens there for a very specific reason. It's not something that happens so much when you get out into, uh, as we call it in the Marines, the fleet. Um, you know, some folks can't break that habit and they keep up and, and, you know, we call those folks bad leaders, uh, just like any organization has, but the, the great leaders are the ones that can do, you know, kind of what, what Dirk's been talking about here is build those relationships, get to know the folks and uh, and have that relationship versus transactional. Um, you, you mentioned kind of this was a, a thought shift for you, um, and I'm really kind of curious, like what was what was the impetus for that that shift in thinking and valuing relationships over transactions? Yeah, good question. 
I think for me, you know, this is around the time that, that I was a CEO of a really large uh, sales organization. So I was really being tested and, and pushed at a high level. And uh, it was it was a very challenging environment because um, I kind of took several steps um, very quickly in a short amount of time from just being somebody that, that ran a small uh, small business to kind of all of a sudden being the CEO of a really large uh, sales organization. So over the course of about three or four years, uh, I had uh, a really, really intense learning journey. And I mean, it, it was really intense. I had I was blessed with amazing mentors and coaches during that time that really walked that out with me. But I think one of the things that um, that I started being challenged with was really the way that I that I was still running business at a certain level was transactional, and I was starting to hit a heavy ceiling in that role. And you know, we were still growing, um, you know, very quickly, and I mean, breaking all kinds of records as a as a company. But man, I was just starting to tap out. I, w I was starting to, you know, become very unfulfilled. Um, I mean, I would I would even say that I was kind of starting to head down a, a track of depression, you know, just because it was just like wake up, just do every single tactical thing that's out there that gives me a, an edge on performance, and you know, kind of run the team the same way. Uh, and you know, there was just this realization that uh, you know. I, I thought that what people wanted was a leader that was just really going to drive performance. I had no idea. And like, this is, this is so crazy to me, even now, like thinking back on it, that, you know, during this time I was probably about 33, 34 years old. And it never really occurred to me that, you know, at that level of business, that relationship is, is important. Like I thought it was just mechanical. I thought it was very, just being very strategic and tactical and executing at a high level and people doing their jobs and, you know, that's how you win. And, you know, so what happened was, you know, more and more people wanted to just start spending time with me outside of business, you know, outside of business hours and wanted to get to know me. And I had a really big blind spot around that. And, and I didn't understand why that was, you know, and so more and more, it, it started kind of being this like interesting thing is like, well, why are, why are these people want to spend more time with me outside of, of work? And, uh, you know, one of one of my my uh, leaders and, and coaches, they they kind of spotted one day and they said, Dirk, wh like, why do you not want to spend time with people outside, uh, you know, kind of business? And, you know, I was like, well, I was like, do they need something? Do they need me to help them with something? Do they need me to solve a problem? And that it kind of after really some both of us kind of digging, uh, it was actually my leader that kind of spotted this in me and he said, he said, you don't see your value as, as a person outside of business. Mm -hmm. And the moment that he said that, like something just kind of clicked within me, man. And I mean, I was like undone. Like I just, because that's what happened. Like I built my, my reputation, my value, everything I placed on my emphasis as my worth, like what am I worth as being a business leader? So as long as I was building uh, businesses and, you know, breaking records and, and making things happen, I was worthy, but I, I didn't feel like I was worthy to even go have dinner over at somebody else's house with them if they were like a high performer, right? It's it's in the business world, you know, I could go toe to toe with anybody and that kind of stuff, but in the personal side, like I, I, I didn't. And so that's really, for me, I had this realization and, and I mean, during like 2016 is when this like really just kind of processed out. And for me that, that year, um, you know, it's like, you know, I, I learned how to actually uh, connect emotion to business. And uh, I tell people it's, it's weird to even talk about it again, but I cried more that year than I ever had my entire life put together. Right. And I was I mean, I was born and raised in South Africa. And uh, then when I was 14, my family moved to Texas, you know, to kind of a small cowboy agricultural type town. So I was just kind of raised in these environments that, man, if you're if you're a male, you don't cry, you don't show emotion, like you're tough, you handle it, you know, no matter what happens, doesn't matter if your arm's broken, or if your heart's broken or whatever it is, like you just take it, don't show emotion. I mean, I was, I was kind of raised with that kind of blueprint. Right. And here I am now at 35 years old, and I realized for the first time in my life that I'm, I'm disconnected emotionally. And so it was a, it was a really big journey for me to kind of go through and really examine that and get to know myself at a, at a deeper level. And the moment that I started understanding this dynamic and started really getting to know myself and finding out what my worth was outside of business, 
immediately my level of relationship with everybody around me started going just to much deeper levels. And, you know, by the end of 2016, I'd kind of gone through this like really deep journey and, um, you know, with everything that I'd learned, you know, in the previous seven, eight, you know, years of, of really building businesses very fast, uh, building teams, uh, I decided that I wanted to really go help the small and medium-sized businesses that were out there that didn't have somebody really helping them with all of this. Like, how do you start doing a relational business? How do you, even in the hiring process, how do you completely change the way that you hire people? How do you completely change the way that you interview them, that you onboard them, that you train them? And so we've been on that journey now for, um, you know, just over five years from launching Bergflow. And, you know, that's primarily what we do today is we just completely have a different model for building teams, building businesses and running a very team oriented collaboration style organization. And uh, we've had phenomenal results with the clients that we've been working with. And um, it's just been it's just been an amazing journey since that that shift happened for me in 2016. Yeah, no, that is a great story. And thank you for, for sharing that. And, you know, yeah, I mean, I think a lot of us, uh, especially in, in our age bracket, uh, were, were raised like that. And, you know, again, when you go back through, it's kind of one of those irony pieces there when you go back and look through history, like th- this idea of this uh, unfeeling, uncaring uh, male archetype is, it, it's really relatively new, right? I mean, if you go back and you look at Viking culture, you go back and you look at um, you look at Spartan culture, uh, you go back and look at all the great warrior cultures that we identify masculinity with. It was very heavily around building relationships. Um, you know, you, they use the term love uh, quite frequently, you know, the whole idea. And we even say it to this day, you know, uh, man hath no greater love for another man than to lay down his life. Right. And you don't get to that point without building the relationships, without uh, doing all of these things that, that you're talking about. But if your experiences are anything like mine, as soon as we start talking about relationship building in the workplace, uh, you know, people get kind of closed off. That's not something that most folks are really comfortable doing. And you kind of mentioned even with your journey, you weren't comfortable with it until you had this uh, epiphany. So how do you get people more comfortable with the idea of relationship building as part of a successful organization? Um, so for us, I think today it's just it's, it's just part of who we are and part of how we do business. And I think it's one of those things that, you know, when you get really clear on who you are and the way that you uh, kind of approach business and life, you're very quickly going to either repel people or attract people to you. And that's one thing that we really encourage people to do is to really know who they are, to to really articulate their values and to really live their values, because what happens is you 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 you're not vanilla at that point, right? You you either going to do things to attract people to you or drive them away, and 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 that's okay. You you actually want that. So for us, we've really just because we've been focusing on this in in a big way, we've created uh, these environments where. If somebody is not relational, if they're transactional, they're actually repelled by us. Like, it, I mean, it's it's a, for people that are very transactional, like they do not like to do business with us. They do not like to be around us. Um, but for people that truly value relationship in business and putting people first, they they're very attracted to the way that we do business. And sometimes I think people are are, you know. They're transactional, but in their hearts, they really want to be relational. They may just not know how to bridge that. So there may be some ways that when they first come into contact with us that, um, you know, things things change a little bit, but, uh, and, and they kind of get to experience it. And there is a learning curve around that. But man, for us, it's just about when we meet with uh, potential clients, even because, I mean, we don't just take clients on. We we actually interview clients multiple times before we choose to work with them. Mm-hmm. And in those, in those interviews, I mean, we really get to know them. We, we learn what they're about. We learn, you know, what are the things that they want to accomplish? We ask them questions about their teams, their people, um, you know, and, and really just try to get a sense of, are they relational? Because we, we choose to not work with companies that are heavily transactional 
and that don't place a really high emphasis on their people. So we've just said, look, I mean, we feel like we do really good work in the world and we're not going to empower companies that are not going to turn around and empower their people to, you know, become better leaders, um, you know, not just in the business, but in the, in the communities they serve in, you know, their their nonprofits, their churches, their neighborhoods, whatever it is, it's it's we want our, our work to perpetuate. And I think the way that we do that originally and, and really test that out is just through conversation, right? It's, it's the exact same thing when we're hiring team members is that we spend a lot of time on the front end of hiring, a lot of time. Most most people, when we tell them how much time we spend with people before we hire them, they're just like, there is no way I can do that. I'm way too busy for that. And I said, well, the reason you're way too busy is that you don't have the right people in your company. Yes. Because what I found is when, when you do start really hiring great people and empowering them, your time frees up, period. Yes. Uh, the people that are just habitually busy in their businesses have the wrong people and they're in the cycle where they can't slow down to learn and grow in how do you find and hire the right people. And they're also... They don't have time to slow down to really get to know people when they're hiring. They just kind of, hey, we're so busy, we just need to get another person in there. And really what it is, whether they realize it or not, is they're looking at that person as just being another cog in the machine. Hey, I'm going to hire you to come in and do this job so that the company can be more successful. It's not, hey, before we even decide to go into business together, let's really get to know you at a deep level. Let's find out what's important to you you know, what your life story is. Uh, let's do some assessments to find out really what your what your behavioral strengths are. And like, let's make sure that there's really good alignment so that if we go into business together, you're going to win. This is going to be really good for you and it's going to be really good for the company. And if it can't be both good for you and the company, then we should not go into business together. So for us, it's just about slowing down and having conversations and not the kind of conversations that are just, you know, I'm I'm firing away questions to get answers and kind of beat somebody up. It's the kind of conversation that builds relationships. It's it's asking questions that initiate self-discovery within people and connection. And it's it's just a different way of operating. So, you know, that's that's typically that what we tell people is just like learn to have conversations because most of the time in society today, people talk at each other. They're not actually having conversations. They're not asking questions they're not exploring connection with each other and so a big part of what we do is um, really engineering the environments that allow for that and teaching people how to go through that process mm. so much in there so much so entrepreneurs uh, even you know the c-suite folks that listen to this I hope you picked up on one major element of what Dirk was talking about there talking about being he may not have used those words he's talking about knowing the organizationals values, their purpose, their mission, whatever word you want to attach to it, and being dedicated to running the business by those. Interviewing clients, not taking just anybody who wants to give them uh, a check, it is something that not a lot of organizations do, and I commend you for that. Um, and, and again, I love what you were saying there, because it's so important about the hiring and firing piece, and, and I love to use uh, Chick-fil-A on here as an example. Uh, and I always have to give the caveat. Yes, we can, uh, you know, this is not the show. We're not talking about the Kathy family stance on LGBTQ issues. It's a totally different subject. We're talking purely from an organizational standpoint and, and running that Chick-fil-A has got that nailed down. They've got some of the lowest firing rates in, in business period, because you know, the culture, you know, what's expected of you. They hire the right people, and if, by some chance, somebody slips through the cracks in the hiring process, they don't stick around long because they don't fit in, and they know that the culture is not going to change to accommodate them, so they, they, they don't feel like they, they're wanted, not necessarily wanted there. They don't feel like they belong there, and nobody wants to feel like they don't belong, so they move on and, and go to a different uh, chain. But... That hiring piece and that culture and being committed to it, I love what you all are doing there because you you just nailed it, right? The, you may spend more time on the front end in hiring, but you know with a fairly reasonable high amount of expectation that they're a good fit, they're going to come in, they're going to fit your values, uh, they're going to, if they go through that process, they're going to want to be with you for a long time because, you know, most people just fill out an application and drop it off and maybe hear back, maybe not. But if they're going to go through, uh, you haven't even talked yet about it. I'm, I'm interested to hear 
uh, what your process sounds like. But if they're going through that process, they want to work with you. Um, and, and all those things are extremely valuable. So yeah, could, could you tell us a little bit real quick about the hiring process? Because now I'm, I'm actually kind of curious about that piece. Yeah. And, you know, the, for us, uh, kind of what you, what you said a minute ago, Earl, about like, you know, companies really understanding their, their culture and their values. Because um, one thing that's important to point out about culture, like some companies say, well, they have culture, but I don't think we have culture. And the thing is, everybody has culture. Some companies just have really purposeful culture that they put time and effort and energy into building, where other companies, uh, culture is just the byproduct of the way that thing, people uh, do things, talk about things, show up, whatever the case may be. But <clears throat> if you don't understand uh, what we call your MVVC, which is your mission, vision, values, and culture, then you, you're kind of flying blind. So mm -hmm. for us, that's one of the first things that we really dial in with companies is what is your MVVC, your mission, vision, values, and culture. And not like what is your, what it sounds really fancy that you can put on your website that if somebody actually read it, they would think like that's really great. Really great. We really push for, for one, maybe two sentence statements that are very plain, that are very simple, and that actually connect with who you are and the way that you do things, you know, what you're about. So we really push for simplification on that. And then our goal is for the organization to actually start uh, living their MVVC, not just having it as something on the wall or, you know, in, you know, on your, your email signature or whatever the case may be. And from that point forward, the, the next step for us when, we, when we're looking at a company is that we have to understand the right structure for the company for future growth. Because again, uh, what I find is a, a lot of times when we work with companies and I say, hey, do you really know who the next person is that you need to hire? And they may say, yeah, we just need to hire some more technicians or we need to hire some growth people or whatever the case may be. But the, the point being that every company is one or two, maybe three hires away from really going to the next level. Yep. It's not like when, when you're an, an owner, a CEO, right? And again, we work with mainly small and medium sized businesses. Most of the companies we work with have at least about 10 you know, team members up to uh, about 180. But a lot of times, if, if and, and I'm thinking, if you're listening to this podcast, you're you're probably either the the owner, the CEO, or or an executive leader, and you are not 30 or 40 hires away from like really your company exploding. You're one or two hires away from your company exploding. And, but it's it's who is the next right hire for you? Because Sometimes you, you, you're just kind of thinking in a very linear way and you're not really rising up to look at, okay, who is that absolute game changer that I can hire that's going to change everything about what, what we do? And that's really what we focus on is understanding the structure so well that you can really step back a little bit and say, okay, now that we've really mapped out this, this future org chart, and we typically do about a 36-month org chart, we feel like that's something that's it's not too far in the future where... There's just massive unpredictability, but it also gives you enough time to actually work a game plan out over three years because we know how fast time goes today. So if we really understand, okay, this is where we're going, now the question becomes, okay, who is the number one most significant hire that we need to make to get us there? No, it's, it's no longer about like, okay, who's the next hire we, we make that's going to be kind of a, a, a mul, uh, like a, an addition sign on our on our on our company, it's who's going to be the multiplier, who's going to be the person that if we hire this one person, there's going to be a huge exponential multiplier of what happens in our company. And those are the kind of hires that we really focus on. And then what we do is when, when we identify those kind of hires, then we build something called a smart profile. And it goes like, you know, the same kind of smart that you would use for goals, right? It's, it's very, uh, the, the job profile is very specific. It's measurable, it's attainable, it's realistic, and there's a timeline on it. Yep. And what we do is we really want to build the kind of job profiles where we can find the right person. Because I think most of the time when people hire people, they, you know, if you look at the traditional sense, they're, they're, they're throwing up a job, job posting that has a title of a job, you know, it may have some requirements, it's got the salary, you know, in there, all this kind of stuff. And the people that are applying a lot of times are the people that either have those titles already or want those titles. They've got that experience. And when the interview starts, then it's all about, hey, you know, who are you? What have you done? What's your track record you know, at work? What skills do you have? What experience do you have? Okay, hey, you know, let's go ahead and get into business together. Where for us, 
you know, skills is one of the last things that we, we really start considering because we find that most, most types of jobs, and especially for the kind of clients that we work with, right? We're not working with, you know, like NASA engineers or something like that. Most of the jobs for the companies that we work with can really be done even if people don't have those exact skills from day one. They can, they can be taught those skills very quickly. We are much more concerned with finding the right person that has um, the right attitude, that has the right level of drive, that's coachable, that's humble, that's learning-based, that is really in alignment behaviorally with the, the key attributes of that position and the environment of the position. So what we really want to understand is what's the overall environment of the company? What's the environment of the, the, the team that that person is going to be working on? And then what's the environment of the actual role that they're going to be doing and what's involved in that role? Because we can then reverse engineer that to really make sure that when we start assessing and matching people, we're matching somebody to where they they fit the role, they fit the team, they fit the environment, and they fit the organization. And when all of those things are fitting, then you'll find that people are going to learn much faster they're going to be able to adapt much faster and they're going to be able to bring a higher level of energy and creativity and drive to the position. And, you know, contrast that to kind of a traditional hire that you end up hiring the wrong person for the wrong position. They come in and even though they got a great resume, you know, they, they start in and they're very willing on day one or week one of the job, but then like by week three or maybe it's month three, you know, they're, they start being burned out. They start having an attitude, you know, a different person that you hire starts showing up and now you're like, oh man, I got to start this process over again. And it's such an expensive process. Like most people do not understand how expensive it is to hire the wrong people. So when we kind of engineer all of this process, now it's time to, you know, get together with this person. And we kind of have three stages of, of, of our process. Stage, stage one is just uh, kind of the, the, the kind of the quick hit screen. It's just what are the, the very fast things that we look at? You know, it's a very quick interview, typically about a 10-minute interview. It's, it's, you know, looking over the resume. It's doing a social media scrub. And then it's doing all the initial assessments on the person. So after we do those things, um, that can happen fairly quickly. Then we're going to understand, is this somebody that we want to spend more time with? Because then we go into the deep dives. And the deep dives consist of three different interviews that go really deep. Each one of these interviews are at least about 90 minutes. So now we start really slowing down. We start focusing on the person. We're really getting to know them. We're asking a lot of questions. And, you know, at that point, um, after the deep dive, if, if things are still in alignment, then we go to the confirmation part of it, where now it's, you know, there's a team interview involved where you're actually bringing the, 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 the team that they're going to be working on to be part of interviewing them. Um, we typically also have like a significant other interview where we go to breakfast, lunch, or dinner, whatever's appropriate for the person, um, you know, and, and we, we meet with them and their, their, their spouse, their fiance, their partner, whatever the situation may be, and really kind of see, okay, what does that side of it look like as well, you know? And, you know, only then do we determine, okay, are we going to hire this person? And at that point, we finalize the job profile because what we do is based on getting to know this person, we may say this is a really great person, but this one thing that we are going to expect them to do on this job is just not going to be good for them to be doing. So can we take this off of this position and put it on a, put it on a different position or maybe swap things between two different uh, positions? whatever the case may be. So we're, we're actually tailoring that, that person's position, you know, right before we hire them to make sure that this is the right thing. And by the way, and this is kind of a shocking thing, we don't actually talk about exactly what the job is and what the, all the responsibilities are. And we also don't talk about the money until the very end. So by the time that somebody actually accepts a position from us, we've probably spent somewhere around maybe six, seven, eight hours with them we probably met with them, you know, during that time, maybe anywhere from, you know, five, six, seven times. And we haven't talked about exactly how much they're going to get paid or exactly what the benefits are. And that, and I know a lot, a lot of people listening be like, okay, there's no way that that would be true. There's no way that people do that. And, and I'll prove it to you. Yeah. People go through the hiring, the traditional hiring process because it is transactional. 
right? In a, in a transaction, you do talk about money and what whatever the thing is right off the bat, and then you try to work everything else on the back end. When it's relational, it's it's all about really getting to know the person, finding out if there's true alignment, and then talking about, okay, what do we need to do to get into business together? So even the hiring process that we do is very untraditional, and it's very based on uh, building a relationship with that person. And what you find is, the wrong people get weeded out of the process very quickly because we, even though today's a really, really tight job market and, you know, a lot of companies are just, they're struggling to find talent. We still tell people when you're interviewing, when you're going through that process, you know, it's like a gauntlet and you don't want anybody to get through that gauntlet and actually join your team unless you know you got a high degree of confidence that they are the right person for you for the long term. Um, and, and I think like that's the, the hard thing is so many companies are just hiring for the short-term pain and then they have, they've got poor culture, they've got burnout, they've got attrition and that stuff is just killing their, their profits and their time freedom. So they're, they're kind of in this place of pain and they don't know how to get out of it, but they got to break that cycle. And the cycle starts with, you know, the, the way that we work with our current teams, the way that we hire our very next person. And, you know, if somebody in business doesn't know where to start. You just start with the next person that you hire and you start with the, the number one person that reports to you and start having a different level of conversation there. Start getting to know them at a different level and then perpetuate that from there. Mm. Wow. That was that was powerful. That was a lot of powerful stuff there. And it goes back again to the relationship building piece because I absolutely love that that process. Um, you know, I can't tell you how many times I've had a very similar conversation with organizations about hiring and this you know, who do you need to hire next? And say, well, you know, we need a, this person. Well, you do know that you've got like three people with that skill set on your team already. You don't need that skill set. What is the skill set that you're missing? And, and so I love that you approach it from then. And again, I love the time and effort you put in because, you know, you mentioned uh, the, the key thing there about the cost of, of replacement, cycling through, training, turnover will kill you quicker than, than anything because you get caught in this kind of quicksand uh, of, of never being able to get the right people trained up well enough to do the job. Um, and, and yeah, it, it just eats your time. Um, the other thing there that I love that you said, and I want to make sure that, that folks heard, was the, the, the skills and the training piece. And, yes, well, I'll – echo what you said. There are some jobs where you absolutely have to have a very specific skill set. But I remember reading some research about Google kind of coming to the same conclusion where they stopped hiring necessarily for your degree or your GPA, but hiring based off of those uh, those kind of soft skills. How, how, uh, how much of a team player were you? What were your interpersonal skills like? How adaptable were you? How dependable? How willing were you to try new things? Because you know, as they pointed out, especially in a tech-heavy world, you can get a PhD in some code language today, and in two to three years, it's worth virtually nothing because codes have changed, technologies change, those skill sets are forever. Um, yeah, yeah, and and no, I I really uh, I really love that there, and again, I really hope folks are listening because I think the one key thing there, and you you kind of brushed up against it, but. You mentioned that you're usually one, two, three hires away from going to the next level. You're usually one, two, three bad hires away from total collapse, aren't you? <laughs> yeah, that's very true. Yeah. So, and that's, that's again, like folks, I want you to go back and rewind and listen to that piece uh, that Dirk was talking about, because, you know, I, I did a show a few shows back talking about, you know, the responsibilities of, uh, of hiring and firing. Um, as, as a leader, right. And, you know, if somebody's not a fit, that's not just, Hey, you know, forget you, you know, there, there's a way to fire people. There's a way to walk away and still be able to keep those relationships intact. Because what I love about what I heard there is, you know, yeah, maybe they're not the right fit now, but you, it sounds like you maybe keep some folks kind of like, Hey, if we have this, we can call you and like, maybe start to process again. And maybe you're a fit for this. Right. Yeah, I mean, well, yeah, because what we tr really work on companies understanding is that if they want to be highly competitive, um, not just in the short term, but the long term, then they need to start what we call a talent acquisition system. Mm -hmm. And a lot of companies are, are constantly thinking about, okay, how are we going to get more P or, or more business or sales and things like that? But 
the the thing about it is you have to be equally if not more obsessed with um okay how are we going to find great people like who is going to be the next great hire and so we we just kind of have a process where you try to get as many people kind of in conversation whether they work out now or work out later um that's insequential right and and i mean there's people that i've talked to about our company that i hope to go into business with that you know i've been talking to for two years and i know that we're probably two or three years away from being the kind of company that they can really step into and be successful in but it's it's about having the conversations it's about continuing to talk to them it's about them seeing the progress of our company and what that does is it builds trust and it builds track record so that i can get you know as we move forward i can already have people that are absolute a players that at a certain point in time when everything aligns we can get into business together and it's it's one of those things that i've just learned that you know it's long-term thinking it's not thinking about just what do we need to do this week to survive or this month or this quarter it's thinking about what do we need to be focusing on now that we can start running uh you know getting runway out in front of us laying track out in front of us that's going to serve us a year down the road or three years or five years down the road and uh, I think, you know, uh, when you think of really, really great uh, entrepreneurs, CEOs, leaders, they're the ones that just look out further than anybody else. And I think somebody like Elon Musk is a really good example of that. I mean, I think that he's thinking three, four, five hundred years into the future, and that's how he makes decisions today, uh, which is exceptionally uncommon, right? Right. Uh, but I mean, guys like Jeff Bezos, I mean, he talks about, look, he, he's not focused on anything that's like closer than like five years into the future. And even the people that report to Jeff Bezos aren't concerned with anything that's going to be happening really this week, this quarter or this year. They're concerned with what's happening, you know, from kind of year two to year five down the road. And then they got people that report to them that are worried about like the next year and like so and so down. So as the leader you're you're wanting to practice to think further down the road and that will cause you to start thinking about okay well what if i do get into conversations with higher level talent because most of the time business owners especially the kind of business owners that we serve they they typically have some some uh, real limiting beliefs around hiring great people and some of those l limiting beliefs i mean could involve you know i can't afford really good people or Really good people wouldn't really think that my opportunity is big enough, or you know, they I'm not a good enough leader to to lead really great people. So when you're when you kind of have these limiting beliefs that are uh, driving the way that you hire, then most of the time you're going to make poor hires, or you're going to hire people that are just constantly going to require you to motivate them and you know kind of prod them and tell them what to do, and that uh, they don't step up, they don't take responsibility. And one thing that I've learned is I'm not actually, uh, you know, for me, I'm not a good enough leader to lead people that aren't motivated. I'm not, I'm not a good enough leader to lead people that aren't, you know, willing to step up and take more responsibility. So I'm very fortunate today that all the people that report directly to me are extremely driven people in different ways. They're not just all people that want to take over the world or anything like that, but they, they're driven, they're disciplined. Um, I don't ever have to show up and try to motivate somebody that, that reports to me. They're naturally motivated. They're naturally learning based. They take responsibility. They're they're they understand the game is not about what they do in business. It's about who they become as a leader, as a person, as you know, uh, as a as a husband or father or you know, wife or you know. I mean, it's 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 those kind of things that matter. And when we place the emphasis on that, then everything else in business will will fall into place. But I think it's it it is. Um, a function of just looking down the road further and just seeing it comes back to the vision part right it's it's what are you seeing about your business three years down the road five years down the road ten years down the road because as a leader that is what drives everything else in the organization if you can't see down the road if you can't see five years in the future and say this is who we're go going to be this is what we're going to do then what are you doing today you know, it's it's like kind of you're cruising down the road with no GPS and you don't know where you're going. So I do think it's a function of just seeing further out and, and taking action today on those things. Yeah, no, I love it. And and I will agree. And and, and here's here's what I've learned to be somewhat of a truth. And, and hopefully this, this helps you out a little bit there. I don't think anybody is good enough of a leader to lead somebody who's not self-motivated and all that. I mean, uh, we can only do so much. 
Um, and, and people have to have that. And, and again, it, it's, it's the fit piece. Maybe it's just not the right fit because when the person, when you've done the due diligence and, uh, about your organization, you've went a, through the hiring process in, in a fashion similar to what you've done, you've laid everything out there. It, it comes to how bad does that person want to work for your organization? And if that's not self-motivating enough, if that's not the thing that drives them, uh, you know, going back to the relationship versus transactional, uh, it, it's just not the right fit. You know, something's went wrong in the process and, and they've they've lied to themselves, not intentionally. Humans are great at lying to uh, ourselves uh, for all sorts of positive uh, manners. I mean, just, uh, you know, think about every time during the holidays you go to put your pants on and uh, you lie to yourself about how the, the dryer shrank the jeans, right? Um we, we can lie to ourselves very easily and not even know it, I guess is my point. When they find that home, right, when they find that place that, that is the fit that they want to call home, that they want to build the relationships and be there long term, that's going to be the self-motivation they need. And that's going to make the leader's job so much easier. So it brings back to the, the theme of this conversation, responsible leadership, relational leadership and being very much in tune with your culture. So you get the place that people, they, they want to see everything succeed because they love it that much. Uh, so I love what you've been saying here, Dirk. And um, man, unfortunately, looking at the clock here, we're, we're sitting about 45 minutes. And I feel like you and I have at least about five more hours worth of discussion. Uh, so I'll go ahead and ask this question here as we start to kind of work towards wrapping up a little bit. Um, is there anything, and I'm sure there's a lot, but is there anything that we really didn't get a chance to talk about right now that you uh, want to leave listeners with before we close out? Yeah, I think the the last thought is just this, that, um, I mean, we see this, we work with a lot of companies, so we see that uh, overall uh, people are a little bit more anxious and stressed out today than, than they have been in the past in, in work environments. So there's definitely a, a shift that's happening uh, with how people are showing up. Um, and, you know, when, when people start becoming more stressed in the environment, uh, things do tend to get a little bit funky, productivity drops off. So I think there's a higher responsibility today than ever before for leaders to really understand their people, to make sure that they that they are doing, uh, doing okay, doing well, that they're on a path to learning and growing and, and learning how to handle these environments at a higher level. So it's not about just teaching people how to do tasks better. It's about really teaching people on understanding, you know, what the mental and emotional side of this, of, of leadership is and of business is as well. So I just want to encourage you, if you're listening, um, you know, and you don't practice a lot of time spent on that, uh, I would encourage you to spend more time, you know, definitely with yourself on it and with your key people. And there, there's a lot of different resources, you know, out there for um, for doing that. But it's something that I would encourage people to spend more time on. I love it. That That is perfect advice to wrap up on. Uh, Dirk, people want to find out more about you, find out more about Bergflow, try to find out if, uh, you know, they're a fit to either work with you or work for you. Um, what is a good way for them to find out all that information? So the, the easiest way to get in touch with us is to go to our website, which is bergflow.com, B-E-R-G-F-L-O-W, again, B-E-R-G-F-L-O-W.com. And really, there's there's two things that we recommend. One is uh, we can definitely just get on the phone with each other on a Zoom call, just get to know each other and figure out, you know, learn about you, learn about your company, what are you guys doing, where are you going, and see the, if there's a fit. The other thing that I would recommend is we have a, a two-day training called Pivot Point that is a really, really uh, special training that goes uh, deep into our whole system and process. We share everything. We don't hold anything back. And that's a really good way to just kind of see where your company is and, and you know, kind of compare to, you know, what it looks like to implement a full system like this into your company. And then you can always decide at that point if it's something that you want to explore working with us or not. But uh, we do have the dates coming up for our next uh, Pivot Point events on our website again. Outstanding, outstanding. Uh, we'll make sure all that stuff gets into the show notes. So uh, listeners, it'll all just be a, a click of a link away for you. Uh, Dirk, man, again, this has been a fantastic conversation. 
Uh, I love everything that you're doing. I mean, hell, man, you've got me wanting to fill out an application right now. I'm, I'm so excited by it. Uh, but yeah, no, I just love it. I love everything you're saying. I love everything your company is doing. And uh, I just really appreciate you being an amazing guest here on the Responsible Leadership Podcast today. Yeah, Earl, thank you so much for the opportunity. I've enjoyed the conversation and uh, just appreciate being able to, uh, to share this work. Well, all right, folks, there you have it. Another great show about responsible leadership. I really appreciate you listening. And if you have any feedback for me, please reach out at earl at leadershipphalanx.com. That's E-A-R-L at leadership, P-H-A-L-A-N-X.com. Thank you for rating, reviewing, subscribing, and sharing the show so these messages can spread further and make a bigger impact. With that, I look forward to speaking with you again in the next episode. Are you passionate about saving the planet for future generations? Do you want to learn how to do it? If yes, then you need to tune in to the Nature Back podcast. It's a talk show covering the changing world around us. From renewable energy, sustainable agriculture, circular economy, to ESG and social innovation. Don't miss this opportunity to discover how you can join the movement and make a difference. Subscribe to the Nature Back podcast today on your favorite platform and get ready to be amazed. Introducing the Deep Leadership Podcast. Leadership is a people business. That's the philosophy of your podcast host, John Rennie. John Rennie. As a former submarine officer who spent 22 years leading businesses in corporate America before starting his own manufacturing business, he knows that leadership matters. Leadership matters. Deep Leadership is real-world, actionable leadership advice from John and his expert guests. Become a leader worth following. Subscribe today. Electric Acid. Electric Acid.